this is just a different kind of experience where the value not comes not from that addictive feeling, but from taking away the emotional experience, the learning component, and all of that. So Tight to Space is a tour of the solar system. And then after that, you get to go see how big other stars are out, out in our galaxy. And it, it, it takes inspiration for them, from those infographics that go around on the internet that shows you, here's the sun, here's this oh giant star, here's this even bigger star, and it just keeps going and going and going and going. And it just, at the end, it leaves you feeling like a, a worthless speck. And at the same time, there's so much information to be shared about what we've learned about the solar system and all the different probes going around to the different planets and moons as of late, uh, that it's exciting to sort of pull together all those those new bits of information into a nice, tidy, curated form and, you know, let the players sort of immerse themselves as long as they want to, to, to learn about all these th different things. There's different, different things you can do at each tour stop as you're going around. You know, there's other modes that kind of let you compare things and get a really good sense of their size compared to other things. And so I've tried to make it so that it's sort of like a little bit of a, a playground at each tour stop where you can kind of do different things. And along the way, you would just accidentally learn all there is to know about the solar system. When did you first start VR development and uh, why did it hook you? That journey started way back with the DK1 Kickstarter. You know, it was taking many months for it to arrive at not my doorstep because I was one of the last ones to back it. So, you know, my mind was racing and I was just brainstorming about what I could do with that before I had ever, ever tried it. And so, you know, I was like, oh, I was a big fan of space. I've seen those infographics going around about the sizes of the suns, of the different stars next to each other and stuff. I wanted to kind of see for myself. And so I started building something, playing with Unity. That was my first time playing with Unity, really. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm already a seasoned software engineer for, for many years and whatever, but I was able to bring over some of those things. Anyway, so it all sort of gelled together and just kind of worked out really well. I put out something that just sort of happened by accident. Um, it was something I wanted to do for myself, but then I kind of polished it up a little bit, just kind of wanted to pass on a little bit of what I learned about the solar system to other people because a lot of things have been happening in space exploration. So that thing took off. Um, I tried to get down the Oculus share and uh, I was rejected because the uh, reviewer said that, you know, you could see some sort of sparklies off in the distance where the asteroids were. And, and that was good because, you know, it sort of caused me to up my game and think about what kind of quality I expected out of myself. And so from there, just the journey just sort of snowballed because all these headsets and platforms are just coming out left and right. And it was always like just a little bit more you know, push myself a little bit more to get to that new thing. And um, I, I don't know, it was just, it's never ending almost. There was DK2 uh, in 2014, and then there was the pathway to CV1. Then there's Gear VR, Oculus Go, Oculus Quest. You know, there's all these headsets. And I remember myself uh, around the time Oculus Go was coming out being super excited for that headset and thinking that it was going to unlock a, a huge market. and it, in many ways, it has. There's a lot of people that love Go, but it's also not enough to support a lot of people. And I and I want to kind of understand that journey of sort of seeing each of these headsets come out for you, and whether 
you expected the market to be bigger than it was. Uh, here we are in 2020. Well, I'm I'm not coming from app development on some other platform, you know, for like mobile or or, or desktop PC. So I, I really didn't have a frame of reference of how big user bases could get. So it was always, oh my gosh, I got 200 downloads from the DK1 days to, oh my gosh, it's 200,000 now to Gear VR, the free version of Tights of Space that was on Gear VR initially, you know, got half a million. Um, so, so over time, you know, my expectations of the size of the user base goes up and I'm, I'm always surprised though. Um, I was just looking at the numbers for, for Quest and I'm, you know, I'm surprised again. I, I think it's, I think things are getting better every time new moves are made in the industry. It'll just get better and better. I'm wondering if you ever thought about stopping development though, along that path and what figured into those decisions. If I didn't have a day job, yes, I would have because I would have been trying to find something to pay the bills and all that stuff. Um, but thanks to the day job, you know, in the nights and evenings and sometimes weekends, whatever, whenever I didn't, you know, whenever I could reasonably not spend time with the family, that kind of thing, um, then I would be sort of just pounding away on the keyboard and then trying to trying to make something out of it. Even so, I would never stop tinkering with it because it's such a glorious hobby to, to step into something that you create. So, I mean, even if it's not commercially viable, even if it weren't commercially viable, I would still be playing with it. I always assume that there's a lot of people that want to get into this at some point that want to find what that path is. Mm-hmm. What would be your recommendations if someone is out there looking at this and wants to get into VR development now? Speaking from an indie perspective, at the very least, you need to have an interest in, in, um, graphics programming, 3D graphics. Um, it's very helpful to, to know C sharp or, or some whatever scripting language is used in the game engine you're using. It's very helpful to know that because that's where you get the power to, to do the things that you really need to do. Good VR experiences stand out when you pay enough attention to those little details so, so that it's not just, you know, janky and, and whatever. Because that's where things really start to shine, right? When the user isn't taken out by small little things. I personally love Unity um, just because it's kind of bare bones. You, you get out of it what you put into it. Um, and it's come such a long way. Uh, you know, I'm always surprised at how much collaboration was done between the major players in the VR space to optimize the rendering pipeline and to make things easier and easier. In some ways, it slid backwards plugins all over the place and just too many platforms. But uh, as a whole, it's, it's pretty amazing. However, if you're looking for a, like a full-time role in the, in the VR industry, like for looking for a studio or whatever, they've been looking for C sharp, uh, C++ experience, Unreal and uh, low-level stuff for, for Unity as well. So How did you approach making sure this flight through space was comfortable? to people on every different system and how did you approach comfort over time did your did your understanding of comfort change over time it it helped to experience that discomfort firsthand back at the beginning but then you know just kind of paying attention to what people were saying about the different triggers and the things that kind of pushed them away um i was fortunate to to receive a mountain of feedback over these years 
I also joined, uh, took advantage of some playtesting services like Fishbowl VR, which is not around anymore, but that was a very good service. And, you know, you could see people sort of actively commenting on, oh, this part doesn't make me feel good or whatever. And then I would make changes, have them try it again, and I would see some serious differences or whatever. I eventually put together a great, uh, innovative, at least I think it's innovative, comfort mode in uh, types of space. And it's on by default. And, you know, Can that's worth really Explain well. it. How does it work? Well, so normally when you're in Titans of Space, your, your, your cockpit is kind of moving smoothly along a curve and it can pitch up and down and, you know, it has acceleration and deceleration and all that stuff. The comfort mode is, you know, you're moving in straight lines. You're always moving forward. It's following the same general path as the, the normal version, but it's kind of disjointed segments, line segments. So you still get the same cinematic effect of, you know, flying through the rings and the, the planet on the other side is being revealed or flying past them. So you can kind of see them going by and everything. And then between the segments, you would have these sort of hemispheres sort of fade in and kind of close, which then sort of guides your attention forward as it closes so that you're not surprised by what's happening next. And so and that's worked out pretty well. What was the hardest thing to get running on a mobile processor for you? You know, Pines of Space is basically a bunch of globes. And not a, some people don't appreciate the fact that globes are harder to render than just geometrical, simple geometrical shapes like cubes and things like that, right? Um, if you want the globe to look better uh, on higher resolution devices, You've got to render more polygons and, and, and all that. Uh, and then you've got the, the atmospheric effects overlaid over that. And it just kind of builds up. It kind of piles up. Um, so, you know, little things like making some planets that aren't really kind of uh, close enough to be appreciated kind of swing out, uh, uh, swing out of the way, you know, around the other side of the sun, disappear kind of thing. Uh, little things like that. I wouldn't say that was the hardest thing to do, but, you know, a lot of the things that I did in the beginning were just done because I was new to this, new to this stuff and I kind of had to redo, uh, you know, do it over again, but in a more optimized way. So in that sense, people wouldn't see the difference, except now it performs better and has a better future on, you know, on the different standalone platforms now. I've, I've recommended Titans of Space to everyone I meet as a, as just an, an amazing introduction to the power of VR, the educational power of VR. But can you explain to me how hard it's been to stand out as an educational experience in the space? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's always been a case where, gee, I wish I was making a game right now. You know, I certainly have a lot of game prototypes sitting around uh, that would love to take further, but uh, it always seemed like the Titans of Space uh, had done so well in its life that I ought to make sure that it, it gets all the, uh, the attention and love that it deserves. Yeah. So, so Quest in particular, the most recent, uh, launch that I've done is definitely a gaming platform, right? It's being pushed as such and it's just games, 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 games. There are plenty of users that are interested in educational experiences. It's just not their primary focus. I have been thinking about doing some things to increase the play the replayability uh, maybe uh, introduce some gaming elements just to try to bridge that gap a little bit more because I think it could mm -hmm. do so much better. I don't see a lot of people going through it more than once or twice. And 
then you always get the people complaining that I can spend $30 on a game for my computer that I'm going to put 100 hours into. And they're using that as a point of comparison to compare a 45-minute experience that feels almost identical to a trip to the planetarium or better than a trip to the planetarium is the way I've, I've explained mm. it. Mm. Uh, have that, has that sort of figured into your design, that kind of struggle of making this case for people? Do you get frustrated by people sort of looking for multi-hour I don't necessarily get frustrated. I mean, it's an, it's an understandable thing. Um, you know, when I get into a game for a hundred hours, it's because I like that sort of addictive feeling like, Oh, I got to get back in and do the grind some more. You know, uh, I totally understand that. And this is just a different kind of experience where the value not comes not from that addictive feeling, but from taking away the emotional experience. The, uh, the the learning component and uh, and and all of that. Uh, so I have been affected by all of this and have decided to grow it a bit. And that's why in the the, the quest version uh, and the, the the PC VR version, it now has that two hours of content with the tour guide character just going into detail about just about everything. And I've tried to make it compelling, where you know you got some person to kind of watch as he articulates various concepts and things like that. But it, it does come off as sort of like a classroom lecture at this point because it's so long. And so, you know, some people are showing their appreciation for it. Like somebody said, oh, my gosh, I sat through all three hours of that. This was a wealth of information, you know, awesome. Uh, and, and some are like, uh, I don't know, I couldn't stay focused. And... So, you know, there's all sorts of people and I'm trying to find ways to bring some value to all those different people. At some point is a losing proposition though. The, the app is already launched. Uh, and it's pretty clear you can't have more than one launch unless it's like a new platform like Quest. We've got an entirely new user base to, to, to sell to. So, um, you know, at this point, I don't know how much further I could take things uh, without just Okay, let's time to make a new title, you know, a new educational title using all the tech I've developed or time to work on one of the game prototypes. And it's almost like it's <clears> hard <throat> for me to imagine you doing something other than Titans of Space um, <laughs> at this point. But have you you said you've got prototypes lying around? Have you thought about taking any of those to completion? I mean, it's getting harder now because the longer I wait, the more. You know, AAA experiences are out there just dominating the spotlight. Um, I, I would hope that I could leverage, you know, uh, what little fame I have with Titans of Space into that. But, but again, they're, they're, they're very different groups of users, probably. So I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, I think it probably makes most, uh, sense from a time and business perspective to just make, uh, continue to make educational titles. Cause I've also been trying to, get Titans of Space into schools. I mean, it's already been in some schools unofficially, uh, but I, I'm talking about at larger scales where, you know, it's starting to kind of pick up and everything. So I'm working on that now. And depending on how that goes, that will decide whether I, you know, go with my game prototypes or continue to making uh, educational titles. I want to ask about competition and whether that influenced 
your thinking at all. They're, you're not the only space exploration experience. You're not the only experience out there that tries to get across the scale of the universe. Did these things ever come out and influence you, scare you, affect your thinking at all? I pay close attention to them, and I want to make sure that I'm delivering some kind of value that they're not, right? I want to stand out in some way. Back in the early days, Solar System Explorer, which became Discovering Space, that came out, that was primarily about flying a spaceship around the solar system, and then you would have a little bit of a readout and all that stuff, and you know, it was very cool and everything. So I was actually already thinking about doing a fly, a free flight mode in like a spacecraft thing. Uh, I have prototypes out there on YouTube or something. But after that came out, I was like, okay, well, now I need to, to go a different route. You know, so that's why I eventually started doing the zero G thing where you, the free flight is now just getting out of your cockpit and flying around like that. And, and that made more sense in the end because I needed things to sort of stay small. I mean, the, the reduced scale helps with your sense of uh, perception of how how large these things are. The bigger things get, uh, the harder it is to kind of sense that 3D, right? Uh, and so you kind of lose that sort of power, that, that information. You know, uh, one of them had like uh, little points of interest on their planets and things like that. Okay, so, okay, I got to do that now. I got to I got to do that. You know, um, and so along the way, I would just figure out things to do that. You know, trying to do better than them, you know, of course. So I've taken it as motivation, really, to, to, to do better. Did you feel stressed that you didn't get onto Quest at launch, like, you know, in the first month or two? Or were you, you were there, so you had your Go and your Gear VR versions out there. It seems like it was a no-brainer to put it on Quest. What sort of kept you to, to, to the end of the year there? The thing is, there's, there's nothing that's an early access on the quest, right? It's all finished experiences, whatever. And I was still in the middle of producing all those tour guide, uh, performances for all the different tour stops. And that was taking me a long time to do. So you've got to research, write, subtitle, record, and all that stuff. And I was constantly losing my voice and having to drink water and, oh, it was terrible. But finally got it all done. And there was just so much more to do from a housekeeping standpoint of, you know, making sure that you pass Oculus QA and there's all these different things that you've got to really get done right. And, um, you know, as I said, I've been kind of learning about all the stuff along the way, you know, marketing and uh, user experience and all, and all that stuff. So I've been just trying to up, one-up myself at every point for everything. And so that naturally takes quite a while if it's just you. How big is your user base on Quest and how does that compare to previous platforms at this point here where we are in early 2020? If I, if I look at my lifetime numbers for PVR and Go and then compare it to my lifetime numbers for Rift and all this, uh, PC VR headsets, those numbers are about the same. Lifetime numbers. Uh, Quest numbers are on track to surpass those in its first year. So it's definitely uh, taking the spotlight in, sen- in the sense of, okay, which platform should I develop for? Which should I focus on? Whatever. Definitely has taken the spotlight. And I've, I have barely even cracked the uh, top selling list. I, I cracked it a little bit in the beginning and then it fell right off but because there was a store sale happening at the same time as my launch, unfortunately. But in general, I can just imagine uh, how happy all the developers are on Quest. 
so I, I'm sure that everybody's kind of scrambling. Okay, let's do some stuff on Quest because that's where it's at now. Did you ever experiment with one-to-one scale, showing things at their actual scale? Because everything in Titans of Space is is usually shrunk down. You can mess with uh, hand-sized models in some cases, or you've got, uh, obviously, the, the sort of basketball or larger size Earth, and then the sun over there that's just enormous scale. But have you ever experimented with showing actual scale so that you can see what the perspective would be on a, on a moon orbiting a planet or... Uh, an actual spacecraft. I did at one point because I recognized that that was something that a great many people were looking for. You know, what does it look like in real life kind of thing? Um, and, and that was the inspiration behind what are the features on the PC VR version, uh, the real distance view. So you, you go into that mode, you get to see, you know, a flash sphere of, of what you're looking at and you get to see other things and you get to see how far away the sun would look if you were at Mercury. You would get to see uh, how big the different moons are in reality and how far apart they are. The thing is, it's, it gets a little boring at that point because everything's just so big. They're all flat looking. Um, everything's so far apart. It's very hard to really create a, a st- sustained amount of content that is compelling in that case. Uh, now, in the case of something like Elite Dangerous, they do everything at real scale, and they have other things to do, like driving a spaceship and doing all these other things. And Elite Dangerous already did all that stuff so well, I just didn't want to really pursue it and not do as well as Elite Dangerous did. I wanted mm-hmm. to focus my resources elsewhere. Makes perfect sense. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, and congrats on Titans of Space. It's been an amazing journey to watch the development of this program from its days on Oculus Air to its days on Oculus Quest, available on a completely standalone headset. It's uh, an amazing journey, and thank you so much for the education and the the mind blowing experiences. It's one of well, the first you. things I put in people's, you know, put on people's heads. Wow. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me.